You are listening to Sounds Good, a podcast brought to you by Choirmate. You're listening to Sounds Good, a podcast from Choirmate. My name is Deveke Kuley and I am in London with Dr. Amy Bebbington. Hi, Amy. Hi, Deveke. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really well. You just finished a workshop in uh, for beginning conductors i did yep and yep. we're going to get back to why that is and uh, what we're doing here because you work for abcd the uh, the organization for conductors in britain and you're head of the training program for new conductors here and we're going to get back to all of that but uh, like i just said you are dr amy bevington and that means you are a, con- uh, a, a doctor of choral conducting Now, what does that mean, Amy? Um, Well, I went to the States to study with Dr. John Dixon. Um, I went to Lubbock University, well, Texas Tech University in Lubbock. And uh, I was there for two years, which is quite rare. Normally a doctorate takes three to six years. Um, But I was very keen that I (laughs) went to America. I got my doctorate and then I came back to the UK because my heart really is based here. Um, I was desperate to come home and just work. And when you uh, work with uh, conducting or conductors... What's your main field? You're in the classical field, right? Yes. Yes. So what is your specialty or what do you find most interesting about being a doctor of choral conducting? I think for me, the thing that drew me into conducting was several things, really. Um, when I was growing up, I sang with my mum. Um, and we used to go to workshops just once in a blue moon. And I used to sing with her in choir as well. Um But I also trained as a dancer and I've always danced my my whole life. So for me, it's the mixture of singing slash music, but also movement as well. Um, I've done lots of training in Dalcros um, and that really speaks to me, the movement of music and how music moves or how music moves you. Can you so, explain a little bit to people listening who might not know what Dalcroze is? Hmm. So uh, Jacques-Emile uh, Dalcroze um, sort of created this system um, whereby you could learn the fundamentals of music through movement. Um, and it's all basically based around movement and how, how music moves. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's much deeper than that. It's much broader than that. Um, uh, Dalcroze was based in the theatre, so he worked with a lot of dancers, a lot of performers and musicians. He was primarily a pianist. Um, but I just love the method, the methodologies, the ways into creating art, music, movement. Um, so for me, that sort of propels me in my job as a choral conductor. It's all about the movement, the gesture, the kinesthetics, and how that can inform the sound that you're getting from your choir. Now you work for uh, ABCD here in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get into working with training new conductors? So the story is that um, I did my uh, piano degrees in Huddersfield, And I started taking a community choir. And then I was invited to take a university choir. But it just was never 
enough. I wanted to do more all the time. So I found a couple of courses. I did some training with the Voices Foundation and with Sing for Pleasure. And I ended up doing um, a course with ABCD, the intermediate course, and we still run that course now. So I did that in Stafford. And then I went to their convention. And that's sort of the hallmark of ABCD. It's the annual convention. That's how ABCD sort of um, first got off the ground in 1986. And I went to a convention in York, and that's where I met Dr. John Dixon, and he was the one that invited me across to the States to go and study with him. Um, so that's sort of my connection with ABCD. So I did a training course, I went to several conventions, um, that led me to study in the States, and when I came back, I started, fortunately, to work for ABCD because uh, they invited me to tutor on their young conductors courses um, and lead one-off workshops and things like that. So, yeah. And then Peter Broadbent, he was my predecessor. He was the director of training um, first. Uh, so I think there's only been ever been one director of training. That was Peter Broadbent, a wonderful friend and colleague. And when he stepped down, I stepped up in the role. So, Why is it so important to have organizations like ABCD? So I think it's really vital to have that training facility on offer because there are so many choirs in the UK. I want to say 40,000. Um, that's which a is, huge number. Yeah, it and is. And that means 40,000 conductors working. Yes. Well, maybe. Yes, yeah. In the ballpark of 40,000 conductors. Yeah. There's an awful lot of community singing and community choral activity and actually that's right the way across the board so that's all all of your school choirs you know there must be thousands of school choirs um and then you've got community choirs you know things like rock choirs police choirs workplace choirs uh, prison choirs alzheimer's choirs singing for lung health there are so many different types of choirs gospel choirs barbershop choirs classical choirs um, choral societies community choruses there are so many different types of choir and abcd really serves to promote um really good leadership um and to to promote um, you know, really healthy, efficient, effective ways of leading choirs. So whether that's vocal health or conducting, gesture, um, planning, warm-ups, things like that. So it all feeds into our training. Um, and as I say, it's a sort of broad sweep. So it covers professional and amateur um, choral directors and choirs. Because when I, <clears throat> sorry, when I walked in here uh, half an hour ago, you were teaching a workshop for beginners. That's right. But I thought they sounded and looked really good. Would you say that the average uh, level of, because I'm assuming this is amateur conductors since they are at beginning beginners level, would you say the average level of uh, conductors in, in Britain is, is high? Is it a strong choral um, tradition? that enables that many choirs and conductors to be working at any given time? Yeah, we do have a very uh, strong legacy of conducting. Um, and yes, I've just been working with the initial group. 
and they've really they've come on leaps and bounds we've only had one training day this was our second training day really? um yeah and they're actually they're singing brilliantly really really brilliantly uh we've only got one tenor we've only got one bass um but they're holding their lines and they're doing fantastically um they're not all uh professional musicians um they are amateur musicians some of them are teachers some of them are piano teachers um two of them have said today that they work in uh, software it industry um yeah so there's a really broad mix of people who are taking our courses um We've got 10 people today on the initial course. That's the lowest level course. And that's an extended course. So it's four days over uh, four months. And then we have another course, which is the intermediate course. Um, And both of these courses are divided into two streams. So there's a a lower level and a higher level within these courses. Um, The intermediate one is longer. That's about six months. And then we have an advanced course as well. We don't run that every year. We probably run it every three years, I would say. And of course, it's been really difficult with COVID in the way. Um, So the advanced course is about six or seven months. So those are our sort of flagship extended courses Um, and people commit to that extended course and it's great to see their journey through so the initial course you don't need to be working with a choir necessarily Um, the intermediate we do expect you to be working with your own choir Um, and the advanced again same thing Um, what is it that motivates you to do this job you're head of training for mm. ABCD so you're constantly training new conductors why Is that so important? And what motivates you to to invest uh, your time in this? I think it's really valuable to bring people together to want to learn the skill and the art of choral leadership. Um, and it's really lovely to bring people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different types of choir as well. So on one course, we might have some school teachers uh, who lead choirs in their schools. We might have... Um, people taking masters in composition or, you know, singing or whatever. Um, We might have professional conductors who want to brush up on their skills or just have another take on on choral leadership. Um, But we cover all sorts of different things from um, vocal health and warm-ups to, you know, rehearsal planning, um, lots of strategies to get the best out of choirs, kinesthetics, Uh, school preparation, uh, repertoire sourcing, program planning, all of those things. Um, And I think there is a need for people to just, you know, come and share their ideas with like-minded people and to, to learn new skills. So, and also for conductors, we don't really have uh, a lot in the ways of colleagues. Yes. So it's, I guess it's important too to meet, like you say, like-minded people and share experience and feel like you have a community. Yes. Because as a conductor, whether you're a professional or whether you are just starting out and starting your first community choir, it can be quite a lonely job. Yeah, it is. I really think it's a, a very lonely job because you're, you're not isolated, but you're a singular person. You're the person at the front and you're the person giving out and enabling and motivating and inspiring and doing all these things, making lots of um, planning decisions and that sort of thing. But ultimately, 
you know, you might go to the pub with some of your singers afterwards, which is always wonderful and a lot of fun. Um, but the responsibility is very different. And you come home and you're still that individual, you know. So whilst a choir can be a team, and obviously you're working with that team um, and it's a shared responsibility, ultimately you are the one at the front. You're the one that makes the decisions, you know. Um, even democratic, friendly choirs, um, it's still quite quite a sort of <laughs> isolating role in a way. So yeah, absolutely. Sharing, sharing good practice and... Um, That's Siri talking to me from oh, my phone. Oh, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered where that came Not from. Not now, Siri. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, good point. And I think um, a lot of conductors, I can only speak for myself, but uh, most of the time you kind of just, you show up to rehearsal and you do your best and you just kind of hope that you're an okay conductor because a lot of the time as well, the feedback you get from the choir is on things that can be improved. 80-90% of the time and then uh, 5% of the time it's real complaints and then maybe 5% of the time someone will come up and say I loved it when you did this and that and this but in an environment like this and in organizations for conductors like Fonoco in Norway or ABCD here in the UK you get that environment where you get to stand in front of your peers and do something and get actual feedback mm -hmm. on how you're doing you yeah. know Yep, and that's so valuable. And ABCD have been doing that, as I say, since 1986. And the courses have grown. We also do um, singular events as well. Um, we do online training days for beginners. Uh, live days as well, so they can be one-off workshops or masterclasses. Um, we also offer uh, mentoring services as well. And we're doing a... a a course for um, school conductors. Um, for school choirs. For school choirs, like that. yeah, mm. that's right. So conductors who are in schools who are leading their, their choirs. Yeah. Um, and those are called Get Them Singing, Keep Them Singing. Oh, I like um, that. Yeah, so they're for primary and secondary teachers. Um, they're twilight sessions. And I think they're on a Wednesday uh, once a month, that sort of thing. And then we do... Uh, between four and seven uh, sessions depending on what our topics are it, it could be vocal health it could be working with changing voices that's really crucial in schools mm -hmm. uh, can be art acquires finding repertoire useful relevant repertoire um, how to inspire and motivate your year sevens you know things like that so we're constantly trying to evolve and trying to deliver what we think choral leaders need in the UK today. I think it's interesting uh, just what you said there, you know, get them singing, keep them singing, because mm. we were talking a little bit about it before we hit record here, that uh, where you studied in the US, uh, they have a very strong tradition for school choirs. Everybody wants to get in the school choir, yeah. and then they move up a level uh, at college, and they have a higher level school choir, which is more difficult to get into, and they get so inspired that they become conductors, and they start their own choirs, and this cycle repeats. Yeah. Um, but we don't have that strong a tradition for that in Norway. Way. what's that like here in the UK I think we have pockets of excellence but that they're very sparse um, and in some schools there really just isn't singing at all so it's 
very, very different. The landscape is very dif different depending on where you are and where there is provision. And more often than not, that's to do with a key inspirational figure in a school. So if you have a head that is investing in music, you're probably going to have a really great musical director or, or head of music who is there instigating music programs and inspiring mm. the children. Um, but that's not always the case if you um, have a head teacher who perhaps doesn't focus on music and feels that music is you know less important than sport for example mm. um, or the sciences or maths um, then the priorities shift um, and as I say I think there are pockets of excellence but in many places around the UK uh, either singing is either non-existent or it's poor um, and yeah I think there is a great inconsistency in in quality and and what is available for children. Because the risk you run then as well, if you have schools where music isn't a priority and uh, you still want to have a school choir or, or music um, being, being taught, uh, I'm just guessing that oftentimes it will kind of be, the, the responsibility will be put upon someone with some musical experience mm -hmm. who might not have the expertise either in vocal health or or conducting at all and that will again lower the level of the <clears throat> of the tutoring and the school choir which again will demotivate the student mm -hmm. which again will kind of kill the whole choir movement so mm -hmm. i guess um what i'm i'm deriving from from you is that if we can uh, up the level of the conductors in the community choirs and the school choirs uh, will kind of build a better base for having a self-perpetuating choir movement mm -hmm. in the country. Mm. I think that's something... Uh, I'm from Norway, and I think that's something we could learn from, because uh, it's very interesting to me as well. The, the community choir movement here in the UK seems mm. very strong. Yes. The force is strong with the yes. community choirs. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think this probably... Um, came from the Gareth Malone phenomenon. Um, what is the Gareth Malone <laughs> phenomenon? <laughs> so, uh, Gareth led various programmes on BBC TV. And I think he did one in schools. He did one with the Military Wives Choirs. And I think he did another one, I can't remember. Uh, Gareth, if you're listening to this, apologies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it's sort of primetime TV. And Gareth was encouraging people where perhaps there was no or little provision in the past mm. to commit to choir, mm. to sing, to try out their voices, to come and join essentially what was going to be his new choir. Mm. Um, so yeah, he definitely did this in a in a school program and also with the military wives. And there was a lot of focus on the individual singers, their backstory, where they came from, mm. um, you know, some of the excellent voices he found and some of the characters who perhaps were not attracted to come to choir, but he managed to convert them. And really, it was just about access to singing and access to singing in choirs. And I think this is where community choirs sprung up from. And when was that? Do you? Remember? Oh gosh, that's um, just that's just a, a very evil question, putting you on the spot. But I'm just curious on about how long that community choir tradition has uh, existed. But yeah. anyway, it's it's really interesting. I've um, 
talk to other choir leaders and singers uh, about the consequence of having staff, for example, in schools, uh, training kids in music or, or conducting choirs. Um, and I've had s several singers come up to me in my choirs, and I've heard this from other choir leaders, that they have been told in school that you can't sing. Mm -hmm. And that effectively kills the yeah. joy of singing. And if we can't find the joy of singing in childhood, we won't have the community choirs because people will go around and yeah. think, you know, I can't sing. So it's such an important uh, mm -hmm. job that you do, I feel, you know, with training new conductors so as to ensure the 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 higher level of uh tutoring available mm -hmm. in in schools mm. it kind of lays the whole foundation for the yeah for the movement and there are other organizations as well that are that are touching on this and they're working in schools and they're working with teachers as well so they are covering all these topics about you know why children don't sing or perhaps why children are struggling to find their voice mm. and how they can find their voice mm. and it does take really gifted and patient teachers to work with these children and to be very very um, structured and persistent and kind with these children so that, you know, because perhaps they don't sing at home. Perhaps they don't have the radio on, mm. you know. Um, and that's a cultural thing as well. We're such a huge multicultural country. Mm. Um, and as I say, the the um, opportunities are very varied and the quality of music making is very varied as well. So it's about finding a, a good sort of mentor, a role model, finding a good teacher, um, finding a really good choir um, and trying to, to embed the value of singing um, as much as we can. What do you feel is your greatest reward uh, in working as a conductor, Amy? Um, I'm a people person. <laughs> I absolutely love people. I love chatting. I love conversation. I love... Uh, you know the spice of life um, and that for me that comes through meeting new people mm. so and I think I'm probably a control freak you know um, <laughs> and I think to be a really good sort of high quality musician you need to be very specific and precise and dedicated true true um, and I think so when you've got finely tuned ears you want things to be right yeah so I think being at the front of a choir, I love people and I love to get things right. <laughs> it's the perfect combination. I know. And I probably am a control freak. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what calls me. And, of course, it's all the dancing. So, yeah. for me, it's about, it's about movement. It's about expression. It's about, oh, so much more than, than just the notes on the page. Yeah. If there are any singers out there or somebody listening who are thinking that mm, I would like to do something like this in, in my school, I'd like to start a school choir uh, or I'd like to learn more about choral leadership, um, they can get in touch with the ABCD and we will put uh, the contact information in our show notes. But if you are out there listening now, you're a conductor or you're an aspiring conductor or maybe you are even a singer in a choir who wants to uh, learn more about um, conducting, uh, what's your top three tips for aspiring conductors to get started? To get started. So we're talking about beginner level here, are we? Yeah. Okay. To get started in choral conducting. So be bold and set up a group. And Just it, do it. 
Just do it. Okay. Yeah. So firstly, <laughs> I, I would just, yeah. And it could be just your family members, mm, you know. Good idea. Yeah. It could be siblings, friends, you know, set, set up a little group. It could be a really small ensemble, maybe just six to eight singers. Um, and yeah, have a go. And then, of course, yes, you need training. And of course, I'm going to promote ABCD training. Um, <laughs> You know, you can do beginner's days online, um, but actually doing something live Mm. is where you get the best response to your gesture. So if you breathe and you lift up your hand and then you exhale and put your hand down, like that, and people start to sing, then you know you've done the right things in the right order. (laughs) Um, Because it takes a lot to, to be bold and put yourself in front uh, it's a very uh, vulnerable place to be. Um, but yeah, I think if the tutor is right and if the training is right, then it's going to be a safe place for you to try out new skills. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Amy Webbington, for being uh, on our little show. And um, yeah, thank you for all your advice and wisdom and for sharing with all of us. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been great. You have heard Sounds Good, a podcast brought to you by Choirmate.